Hello. Welcome back, everyone. This is Cindy Silva. I'm here with Jeannie Zandi. This is part three of a three-part series on the hero and heroine's journey. We started our conversation in part one talking about the first phase of the journey, which is the severance or separation, meaning the um, moving away from the familiar and the known. And then in part two, we talked about the descent, which... Um, and where we go into the places that we've avoided and that seek to be integrated and brought back into wholeness. And today we're talking about the third phase called return. And this is uh, the the aspect of the journey where we've discovered something in the descent. We've uncovered a treasure, a wisdom, and we're bringing it back into the collective to share as a contribution. And I wanted to say, um, before we jump into the conversation today, that um, I was thinking about this word return, and one of the challenges I've been facing in myself is having been in uh, these tight spots for quite some time, always wondering when is it going to be over when am I going to be done with this <laughs> when is it going to be done so I can return to my life back to quote normal and then I keep getting the message like it's never you're never going back to that that's not what the return is about and so I want to just open with that and um, I'd love to have you share Jeannie um, your experience of what the return means for you or you know your direct experience of that for our listeners benefit i'm just chuckling over here because all i wanted to do was do evil laughter when I mean, you were talking i hear about it walk. oh yeah well yeah. <laughs> it wasn't that hidden it was peeking through and i love it because it's uh it's real and it, it needs to be heard when we're fooling ourselves so let's hear it well i mean there's lots of different levels of deconstruction. You know, if a person goes through, you know, adolescence, for that matter, um, cancer, loss, all that, spiritual deconstruction, you know, it, it can take out a certain amount of who we were and how we oriented and sort of wash us back on the shore of life to live in a new way to some extent. And if we're talking about the true dark night of the soul, you're just relieved altogether of every way that you ever oriented as a me. And um, that's radical. And my experience of myself and other people that I've sat with and supported through this is that... Uh, our structures are built on top of a kind of a scared young creature, scared young baby. It's why we start to cope and create structures in the first place. And um, when the structures are washed to the sea by some big life event or challenge or by the dark night of the soul, the very vulnerable, we can be returned to a state where we almost feel as vulnerable and as semi-functional as an infant. Um, we return in certain places to our where development left off, our true, deep, simple development left off and where we started to cope and create structures to deal with the world and to repress whatever we were carrying um, and so to whatever degree, I think the more the more that one's structures are more of a coping variety and, and not really in tune with reality, um, the more challenged they are. And, and so we can emerge from a, a good spanking from life. Um, <laughs> I like to make jokes in here because it's just, you know, I call it like ghoul, ghoul humor um, because it can be just tremendously relieving for people who are 
going through this kind of darkness to um, to be able to have a laugh once in a while instead of be possessed by the grimness of it because it, it really is challenging. Uh, but to come out the other side is to come out, um, this is why they call it born again, and born again doesn't just mean you get dunked in some water and given a new name or something. Born again means that you're actually raised to the ground of yourself, to the childlike, simple, brand new, open innocence um, to acclimate first, digest second, because it, it can be quite scary and disorienting, the whole process, and then to almost like learn to walk again, almost learn how how does this vehicle that has been relieved of its manager, its separate self-focus, how does this being wide open and innocent and clueless in the moment move through the world in a brand new way instead of out ahead with the mind driving everything, um, more listening in to the moment and what's indicated and what's alive in each moment. Completely different way of being here. And, you know, oftentimes the, you know, in my case, and I think this is often true, there's a certain impending doom, impending storm stage. Uh, then there's the the challenge to the to the structure, to the sense of reality. So loss of meaning, disorientation. Um, maybe the mind doesn't work the way it used to. The will doesn't work the way it used to. This is just in a classic dark night. And then what happens is that all that freaks us out, which then causes a lot of unconscious material to rise. Um, and when, and we're sort of force-fed being here in the moment without a plan, just tending to the moment. Uh, and that whole period of feeling a lot is just like this chaos and this, oh, my God, what's happening, and this freak out and this attempt to scramble back to something and all of that. But, you know, as the years go by, which, you know, that was what I experienced was years, as the years go by uh, where this, sort of weird way, new way of being here doesn't seem to be lifting, uh, there's a deeper and deeper, um, in my experience, willingness to simply tend the moment, stay simple, do what you need to do. And then there becomes this kind of desert period where it's sort of like Psyche sorting the seeds and that myth of Cupid and Psyche where she gets to see Cupid's face or Eros's face is his other name. Um, and then... And then she has to sort seeds for like seven years in order to be allowed to be back into his presence. Um, in other words, she's gotten a glimpse of her own shadow and there's some things to sort through. And so there's this period of time that's just very chop wood, carry water, just being here, going nowhere, nobody special, just breathing, just being on the earth. I have no idea what's happening. That's not as heinous as the deconstruction period it's more um, and you know we can fight more or less and we can have more or less to resolve and there can be more or less uh, trauma that is unearthed etc um, but given that we meet that all well um, then there's just this getting used to being nobody going nowhere with nothing with no plan with nothing to show for oneself and um, that part is, I like to call it the desert, because people, when you're in the hell part, you're like, when will the hell be over? And when the hell's over, you're like, okay, when will I have a life again? And, okay, I'm done. When's my life going to start? But there's this whole period of time where it's like, in a way, for the darkness of the soul to really come to completion, one has to deeply, deeply, deeply submit to divine will. In other words, deeply submit to things as they are, which doesn't mean we don't change a flat tire if a flat tire is flat. Um, but what it does mean is that uh, we're not trying to run and create out ahead of what's, what's organic or what's happening in us. And this whole process is very organic, and we're not used to applying the 
paradigm of the organic to our psyches and to our lives because we live in a culture that doesn't value most of the organic cycle. We treat ourselves as objects. We want to be perfect. Uh, the sprouting and the rotting parts of the life cycle are not recognized outside or inside. And so all of these phases that we go through in the dark night of the soul are a deep initiation into how the how the holy moves organically and how to be an apprentice to that, how to be um, following that, submitting to that, listening to that, as opposed to um, not being anywhere near the moment, battling the moment, trying to make the moment into what you want it to be, and then having a five-year, 10-year, 20-year plan about how things are supposed to be completely divorced from the moment. So it's a kind of a in its completion, it's a, a washing the beings. It's the dropping of the structures, the strategies, the forward thinking, time, me at the center of my life, and more of a really deep hands open, heart open, eyes open, willingness, receptive willingness to listen and to follow what's just very simply organically alive in the moment, which has all of its own challenges because as we listen, we are directed in ways that may go against our conditioning. So there's another whole uh, deep level of facing um, facing our identifications and facing our attachments. What if uh, the truth is that, you know, we need to go um, move across the country, we get a big impulse, but, you know, that would challenge our existing structures. What if we are invited to leave our work or leave a relationship or develop a new skill or say no in an area when we've always said yes or be really um, be really disappointing to somebody who matters to us. All of that emergence has, in fact, all of the challenges that sent us into coping in the first place. And so, in a way, we're young and we're developing a new but in a more appropriate to the organic reality of the moment than this kind of, you know, bag the moment and, and try to make something better kind of thing. I hope that all made sense. Yeah, very much. Super, super helpful for me to hear that. Um, and I'm assuming for those listening to, I hear you speaking to, a directional change that's happened in myself. Uh, my observation of it has been: I was the coping aspect was more strategic, active, impulse, and this um, undoing of that is more passive and receptive to something like you say that's more organic that comes from a different knowing um, that related to what we were speaking about in the a previous conversation as yin energy, that which is um, yet to be born, that is uh, yet to be fully awakened in us and is revealing itself and needs time and has its own timing. And the patience, I think, peace is, challenging because we're conditioned to have have an answer right now um, to relieve any discomfort right now and um, that's not the reality in this space as I have experienced it yeah and in that waiting it's it's like a so I like to talk about, um, when I'm talking here, I like to talk about the plant cycle, the plant life cycle of, you know, just the seed resting in the dark ground, the tiny sprout, the sprouting, the growing, then the maturing and getting sturdy, um, leaves and blossoms and fruit, and then the fruit falls and the plant starts to wither and fall and compost and we only recognize the full mature plant. We want to see 
We like blossoms. We like fruit. We like maturity. We like strength. That's perfection. We worship the mature sun god, warrior. Um, the, the way the ancient Greeks expressed it was, you know, the feminine, even the feminine was Athena sprouting from Zeus's head, fully mature from his head, fully mature, fully arm, armed and ready for battle. And so in the organic cycle, there are things like um, birth and being on wobbly legs. There are things like uh, some structure um, obsolete and so crumbling. And so in those places, there's insecurity, there's doubt, there's not knowing, there's waiting. And then there's the whole period of time when the plant has rotted into the ground and there's just silence. There's nothing showing above ground. And this is a model of how the organic works and how human beings whose bodies are subject to the organic work and how our psyches work. And yet our culture has devalued all the aspects of the life cycle but the, the flowering, fruiting, mature. And so when anybody is embodying, in other words, pausing, in this, and it's reflected in our overconsumption on the earth. Whenever any of us is pausing and resting and being nothing and going nowhere or feeling insecure, feeling like a little sprout, feeling in need of protection or, um, or aging and falling and rotting and needing time alone and these kind of things, that's all compared against the perfect sun god soldier man and found to be wussy, not quite it, not quite right, what's wrong with you? And we've got this so deeply embedded into our psyches that we are um, individually, uh, relationally, collectively, environmentally, politically, <laughs> basically <clears throat> on a crash course of yin debt. We are, we are yonging it up and completely depleting our stores our energies, our earth, we're exhausted because we don't know how to honor the signs of rotting and the signs of sprouting. We don't know how to protect our sprouts. We don't know how to honor those parts of the plant cycle to the degree that when I went to look up to find an image of this cycle, most of the images out there on the Internet, if you do a little Google image search on the plant life cycle, most of the drawings will show from a seed to a mature plant. They won't even show the whole um, thing that takes probably just as long as the sprouting and the fruiting and all, the falling to the earth, the, the fading, the, the turning brown, the folding over, the sinking down, the, the composting, the sinking into the earth, all a holy... Um, aspect of the organic cycle that deserves reverence um, but we are so out of balance so when a being enters the dark night of the soul or any kind of initiation you know grief like loss of a child all these things the culture just does not know what to do with all of that and you can only be in this kind of off the map place called you know indulging your, you can have like five minutes of grief but you know, indulging your feelings. You've got to get back out there and date. You know, you've, in other words, show us some yang, show us some blossoms, some fruit, some strong stock. We can't bear to see anybody um, in these other realms. And in fact, all of the doors to those are are marked with red X's. Don't go here. Even in our own psyches, we start to head toward a very healthy composting period of grief, of insecurity, of wanting to be by ourselves, of being tired of the world. And suddenly we feel like, what's wrong with me? I need to get it up again. And everybody around us treats us the same. So it's no wonder that we are programmed with this incredible impatience because we are all thinking there's something wrong with us we're just following these natural cycles, holy cycles, in fact. And then the people around us also asserting pressure. It's very difficult, very yeah. difficult. In fact, you know, I had to be forced into it, just absolutely. Now, I already had a lot of experience 
um, you know, I learned, I figured out how to grieve sometime around 23 or so. And so I, by the time the dark night hit, I was like a kind of a professional griever because I had discovered that, you know, I wanted to be a whole love-filled, clear human being. I was just very interested in human potential. And so I discovered that if I went into the pain behind any of my funny behavior, my fears, my griefs, my being short with someone or whatever, if I went into the feeling there and felt it, uh, that it would clean something out and I would emerge more flexible and more intelligent and more sturdy in those places. So that was already a practice of mine for probably 13 years by the time the dark night hit. I was a bit arrogant about being able to go into all sorts of darkness. And then you know, the mother of all darkness came, and I, I wasn't singing an arrogant tune. <laughs> and so I had that already somewhat of a value on yin, on digesting, on the value of of yielding and going into the dark and feeling things and being resurrected. I already had that kind of in my body, and so I don't think I had to have my butt kicked just as hard as I think others may have to, and... I don't think it came with as much psychological and developmental material like it does for people who've never grieved or never taken a look at what they're carrying around in their unconscious, et cetera. Um, but even still, wow, was it ever so challenging to just stay with the simple truth of the moment. I mean, I had to go through so many fires just even uh, one I didn't even know I had, which was, you know, thou shalt not disappoint other people, especially people who you're close to. And I was just one big disappointment <laughs> in every direction, like socially and familially and relationally, because I just couldn't handle being a person with other persons. I, I was breaking, that whole structure of me was breaking down and the whole meaning of small talk and it was it just completely otherworldly and being forced into that, it was like being forced into the ground, forced to the ground, forced to, forced into the moment. Uh, anywhere else my attention went was filled with suffering. So it was a really beautiful, relentless, thorough, rotor-rooter and boot camp that um, just I didn't have a choice. Anything else hurt. Hmm. Oh, there's so much in what you just shared to unpack here. Oh, my God. I want to go back to <laughs> what you had said about um, the life of the plant cycle and how much is missing. The, it represents the yin and just even what... I flashed on when you were sharing that is about our advertising um, industry and all the images we see in advertising primarily are of these strong, healthy, perfected, not even real, but photoshopped images of what um, we assume to be healthy. And, you know, we're the advertising the the most successful advertising campaign ever do you know what it is do you know remember no. what it was Mm-mm. viagra and you know why why because of the 4 hour erection talk about <laughs> yanging it up i mean yeah. this wasn't even a reality as a side effect, it was a made-up side effect to sell the drug, and it was uh, the the mass, most massive successful advertising campaign in history. Wow! It, it so makes absolute sense because we're yeah. we've basically valued the hard on what the hard on represents. Well, the hard on represents I can overcome, I can do it, I can deliver it. I'm a man, I'm valuable, I'm producing, I'm functioning, I'm performing, I've got it handled. It's 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 young and it's it's young with the demonization of yin. So the last thing you want to be is soft, not be able to get it up, not be able to function. Lord help us. And we flog our men 
um, with just the absolute hatred of yin inside themselves. And, and mm-hmm. we get it too. It's outright soldier training. And so if anybody holds out the hope that you can pay some money and be this sun god, which is the loved, which is the right, which is the worshipped, which is what's wanted, which is good, which is the light, you know, all that. I want that. I'll pay for that because I don't want to feel bad. I don't want to feel dysfunctional, soft, unable, incapacitated. So our men die early because they're extra flogging themselves from anything soft, anything that rests, anything that grieves, anything that softens in their body, any place where they say, I can't, I feel helpless, I feel scared. That stuff is, it's human and we have erased it from the human record. It is demonized to be weak, to be in need, to be incapacitated, you know, as my own dad said, like, you know, when I get to be dependent, just shoot me. I mean, just shoot me. When, because the feelings I have inside about not being, about being at the mercy, I just don't have a relationship with that. That's, that's where we're at. We don't have a relationship with, and, you know, so aging and incapacitation and things force feed us the lessons, but most of us don't come out the other side with the redemption of yin, with the redemption of that whole side of the life cycle. We we kind of limp out of our darkness sort of trying to patch something together because we don't have a context for the beauty and the reverence and the gifts that come from yin. To be a being who can rest wide open, receptive, um, utterly at the mercy of the moment, schmoozing with the um, with the energy of divine presence is in my book. I mean, I've I've definitely had my kind of young pinnacles in my life of you know being a young woman who could really play basketball and could really argue in class and oh my gosh, the pinnacle of yin, or, or should we say the low point of yin, because yin is a softening down, not a rising up, is so beautiful. It's the root of all pleasure in being a human being, that your body would be free of stress and free of agenda and just rocking a vibe of everything about this existence is good. You know, free of worthlessness, free of fear, free of insecurity, just that's the product of really repeatedly allowing yin to win so that our roots are nourished by our own compost. We are not nourishing our roots. We are, and it's, it's showing up in our agriculture. It's like, no, don't respect the natural cycle of soil. Throw a bunch of crap in it to fertilize. And then it, it, it's, don't respect the health of the body and the natural cycles of the body, throw drugs at it. It's just so out of balance and we are all, even our approaches to things like feminism are completely steeped in yang. <laughs> and it, we, we don't have a problem as much, as much as we think we have a misogyny problem and a sexist problem, we have a yin fear problem, a yin hatred problem, and we're all limping from it. The men, the women, the men hate the yin in themselves. We women get to manifest a bit more of it, but we feel horrible about it. The men are in fear of it and disgust with it because it's already been punched out of them completely. We're all just careening around this planet. Just We all need to just lay down and howl for a good long time. And catch up with ourselves. Yeah, well, with we have a full moon coming up on Thanksgiving. We can howl in gratitude. I wanted to share something about what you said um, here in the soft, this, the relaxedness of Vietnam, because Einstein was known for this, where he was asked, how does he come to his realization of these formulas? And he said, it's all muscular and no one understood what he was talking about but he was famous for Einstein he was famous for 
taking naps every day and at lunch he would sit in his armchair and hold his keys in his hand and as he would doze off his muscles would relax and he would drop his keys and that would wake him and he would write down whatever he was thinking at that time whatever was on his mind and and it was the relaxation uh the muscular tension that opened him to the receptive nature of what he was tracking in relationship to the universe and what wanted to be known and brought forward. So that's a good example. I love a reference to that. Oh, my gosh. I would love a reference to that, wherever you read that. That's just amazing. We'll we'll track it down. I saw it on a video series, I think, and, um, yeah, it should be easy to find. So um, I want to go back to also what you were saying about um, the return aspect of coming back from this descent because this third part in our conversation today is about the return. And I wonder if you could share some insights with us about how do we recognize that? What I mean, it's going to be unique for everyone, obviously, but you are someone who has a successful organization. You're teaching people how to hold space for this process. You're um, obviously integrating the treasures that you've gathered in your journey and bringing them forward to benefit others, and that's that's how I would define a return and, and how it looks when I observe and experience your work in the world. Is there anything you want to say regarding that for the benefit of um, our listeners? Well, you know the joke I made before we got quit on here where we were joking about you said you you walk your talk, and I said I talk my walk. Uh Um, You know, that was funny, but it's also a real key to what happened here, which is that I didn't get so people can have an idea oh i'm through my i'm through my dark night or i'm through my whatever now it's time to give back or all that you know we can have that thought but when we tend the very minute organic movement of our beings in the moment so here i am i'm dropping into felt experience i'm i'm feeling breath i'm feeling ground i'm feeling what impulse is here, if any, um, and what's alive and what's moving from conditioning, what's moving from fear, what's moving from I want to be somebody, I want to compensate for all these years of being nobody, I want to go out there and give something and all that. Um, There's a threshing process if we're absolutely true and able. There's a threshing process. The body becomes an instrument to be able to sniff out when impulses are coming from the fuel of ego um, and when impulses are coming from what children would call because. It's just, it's alive. I don't necessarily understand it, but I'm called to do this or go here, that kind of thing. And it's like um, color on the wall. <laughs> yeah, exactly, yeah, exactly. And And it's really... This is a tricky area where I think people need often a lot of guidance because we don't actually realize that our minds run our lives and we don't actually realize that what's in the mind is conditioned and we're used to using it for guidance. And so even after someone goes through a lot of deconstruction, the mind can still have the hold as the boss and be dictating the life in a way that is walking your talk because you talk it first and you walk it later versus uh, talking your walk, which is my experience. I, I, the organic moved out ahead of me. Like I don't come to, let's say I have an event or a class, a series or something. I don't set up the series and think I'm going to teach these things and then go in there and teach these things. I invoke a particular topic, and I have no idea what I'm going to say until I sit down and meditate, and then I follow the organic of it. So I am actually literally dropping into my own embodiment with the invocation of the topic and seeing what wants to be said, but it's not the idea before the embodiment. 
It's that the embodiment is out ahead of the thinking. And so all of what has happened here, I am innocent of. By that, I mean I never had a plan. I never said, now it's time to emerge. Let's plan our emergence. Instead, and I have to say, I was deeply aided by such a thorough humbling um, that what ended up happening is if I tried to move out ahead of my organic where I was, I would have so much suffering that it would drive me back into the moment, into having nothing. Um, so there was a there was a schooling, in a way, of my system to um, humble itself into the moment with its head down. <laughs> and so everything that you see about the emergence of me, the website, the work, whatever, was one organic movement after another as I was, for example, invited to teach. So I'm invited to teach. The mind says, oh boy, you know, my long-awaited spiritual career. But what happens in my life is that I get promoted at my software job, and when I feel in, it's clear that I'm to stay at the software job for whatever reason. Now, if you get ideas going and you crush what's organic for what the mind and the, and the you know, attachment likes, identification likes, then it's like, oh, okay, this must be a sign I'm supposed to leave my software job because I'm excited about this spiritual work, you know. Um, but there, there, there grows a capacity or there can grow a capacity to really sort in the body where is this impulse coming from? So there's the invitation. Where is this response coming from? Is it a yes? Is it a no? Is it an I don't know? And is it coming from this kind of sense, embodied sense of rightness, or is it coming from a good idea? Um, Boy, I like the sound of that. Boy, I'd like to be that person. And so there was a absolutely rigorous, and I think this is, this builds such integrity that, that pays off in terms of how sturdy our whatever gets created through us becomes is the more that we are attending to this organic process and really sorting the seeds of what's really true here and what's just my egoic wish to get somewhere, um, what's built by the holy in those organic impulses is true and good and sturdy. And this is how it's a new way to live one's life. It's not the okay, I have all the ideas from the culture about what I'm supposed to create so that I can be happy and now I'm busily working toward those. Instead, it's what is the truest, most wholesome, most integrous move or lack of movement in this moment and in this moment and in this moment. And at first, that can be a kind of a painstaking sorting process. And I think as we get a feel for it and as we are unable, I mean, I'm unable to go against the truth. I don't even think of things that aren't true. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, at this point, I'm just, I and my father are one. There's just a true expression of um, what's asked and what's done. There's not any uh, sorting that really has to happen. I'm trying to think right now, just seeing, is that completely true? Is there a place where lately I've sort of sorted something um, And sometimes I do. I sort things sometimes that are, especially the things that look really good. They look really spiritual or they look like a good idea and they're complex. Maybe they they, um, involve other people, uh, et cetera. It's like I have to really, what is, what feels, and it's a feel in my body. It's It's the feel we get when we tell the truth. You know, we may be scared to death of the truth we just told, but in the moment of telling it, there's like the whole body lines up almost like in this kind of vertical, integrous pole. There's just this feeling of clunk. That was true. And then there, there's a feel of lie. There's a feel of that's not quite right. And sometimes we can find it by saying things out loud. Like, okay, I'm going to go to Africa. And we try it on in our body and we can just feel, uh-uh, you know, good idea, but the energy isn't alive in there. And um, that rigorous 
pruning, that rigorous sorting, um, and being so true to what one would call my truth, you know, um, is what builds an integrous life. It's the way that we, it's an effortless way of living once the battle with how we should be and what we should do and what our egos would like loses to the being true. And the being true, the more we're true, the stronger our impulse to be true is, the easier it becomes until we just are simply an expression of the true. And I have to say, it is the sweetest way to be a human being on this planet. No matter what you lose and come what may, being aligned with one's highest, deepest soul, purpose, truth is yum. <laughs> yes. Like, bye-bye conflict, bye-bye war, bye-bye separation. And and um, I have to say, it's it's not an easy process because our conditioning has really generally robbed us of the capacity to easily tell what's true. Mm, I've heard you say that before in um, retreats where you said bye-bye to the voices mm-hmm. that were not true, that were calling you into something that was against truth. And, you know, the, the voice that was... Um, Saying you know if you if you go there you'll die or something. Do you recall what I'm pointing at? Sort of um, like the the yeah. malevolent thief energy. Well, the one thing that rises here when you say that is just um, remembering different moments of and and it was it became that I couldn't. So that was what was so wonderful about it was that I, I even though it was horrible my sorry about that sound my will you know i would think um you know damn it i'm going to go to this family event with my daughter's dad and be a happy family after all it's thanksgiving let's say since it's thanksgiving tomorrow <laughs> and my whole system would feel ill and it would be like we we might call it resistance. I don't want to. But and I would try to will against those things and I would just feel what Hafiz calls everything you do from there has a little bit of weird failure in it. It was this feeling of just uh like and I so I started to just listen to that because so many things I had done in my life before I couldn't do anymore. You know, oh yeah, just go to a potluck with friends. Nope. <laughs> you know, et cetera, and it, it um, so that feeling of, I had to say goodbye to the human being I had been before that. I had to say goodbye to the things I had done, the ways that I was, the way that I identified. I completely identified as a social being, and that just got completely taken. Um, now, if I'm going to be with a human being, there's got to be a very good reason for it. It doesn't mean that I don't uh, see my family or sometimes go to a movie with someone. Um, but if there's a feeling of non-aliveness, I don't go. And um, and so it's a, it's a difficult process, and it's a process of almost like uh, again and again admitting to your own death. Admitting or submitting? Submitting. Submitting yeah. to your own. Hmm. I like what you're saying. I'm really experiencing that for myself. Is that there's this sense within me that every conversation should feel like an adventure, and if it doesn't, I feel like I'm not in the right place or with the right people. Some yeah. part of me feels a little yeah. selfish about that, but yet. And when I'm in conversation with you, it, it is like an adventure because I feel like we're creating a, or a, a field of potential is being created. Something of, of value is being explored to integrate this yin energy in, to fold it in, to bring it into the fold and to um, anchor it into the template. I'm, I'm having conversations with different women all over the world and just feeling that that is the service, if there is 
if you want to call it something, um, that I'm doing right now is to just hold space for this kind of conversation and know that the words are the structure and the container for a particular vibration or presence to anchor and be brought into the conversation rather than um, kept in the dark. Yeah, and um, it's like you beca- you you move from being a social being to being a service being, a God being, a truth being, mm-hmm. and the most important mm-hmm. thing becomes one's work. And people, you know, it's been really, it was really challenging um, many years ago as I was trying to sort all this and, you know, have a sense of sanity amid everything that was changing. Um, You know, my daughter's dad or different people in my family, you know, well, couldn't you just, can't you just, you're so selfish, why can't you just, and my mind would say, yeah, why can't I just, and I would just have so much self-loathing and so much hatred as what was happening to me was I was being whittled down to this raw nerve of truth. No, I can't just. I must follow this. I know it looks selfish, but it has nothing to do with selfishness. It has to do with following holy will. I'm dying a thousand deaths here. I'm not happy about this. You know, it's like, you know, being in a new relationship and saying, you know, I'm sorry, but um, I need to move here. And I know you don't like it here. And I know that in relationship you're supposed to be able to compromise and and I'm whittled down to a holy servant. I am only here for my mission. I, I can have a little bit of fun on the side, but this command, when it commands, you go here, I have to go there. I have to go there or I have to stab a fork in my eye because the feeling <laughs> in the body of of going against that holy will is like one would rather die than sin. By sin, I mean miss the mark. By miss the mark, I mean not live one's truth. And it's not that in every area of your life those commands come. You know, it's not like I can't choose between whether I want an apple or an orange or something. You know what I mean? Or whether I want to take a walk or ride my bike. Um, But for the big stuff and where it does deliver um, its uh, orders, it's like that was what was so difficult to acclimate to was um, leaving behind the one that could really just go along with lots of things and be pleasing. I'm just a weirdo. And um, I remember the first Thanksgiving that I said, I'm sorry, I cannot go to Thanksgiving. I'll be in San Luis, Colorado on that little mountain in the gray cold walking the Stations of the Cross. I don't know why. I can't tell you why. Who who wouldn't rather sit down with family and have turkey and gravy than eat some kind of fast food while you're like trudging in the snow along this barren little hilltop? (laughs) And yet... You know, it's like you get taken. You are no longer the world's. You are no longer anybody's. You are God's dog, God's servant. And that sounds oh so awful. We can get so scared of that because it is the elimination of our separate will and that makes us feel scared and um, claustrophobic. But on the other hand, once the complete submission is done, it's just like rock on. I know who I am. I know what I'm for. I have no doubt. It brings me great joy. I, who I am, what I do, my work, my word, my everything is one piece of holy expression. And it's not like I'm perfect, you know. Not like I don't like stub my toe and say shit sometimes, you know. Or, like, you say but, more than shit. <laughs> well, good point. Good point. Yeah. Which, which is, which you is know, why I like, you know, the the fields you create in the retreat. You know, oh, sometimes. So, Sometimes people say, they say, oh, my God, you're the whole package. You love God, and you say, fuck, you know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. What can you say? Oh, that's great. So what you were just sharing really is um, pinging for me in the sense that this knowing
term, but having sifted through um, and being able to tune into the language that is being spoken to you that's unique to you and your relationship to the holy that has guided you to this place. It's like the world is so full of weapons of mass distraction that keep us from that. And so I feel like there's this double sort of um, role distractions play, like they they pull us away from that which you're pointing to and speaking of is knowing who you are and what you're here for. But it becomes um, to a point that you become so miserable (laughs) to being so disconnected from who you truly are and what you're here for that the distractions guide you back towards that in a way. You have to be distracted away from the distractions into a place where they're not even an issue anymore. I don't know if I'm communicating clearly what I know here, but it's it's helpful for me to have you point that out. Yeah. So we're coming to the end of our conversation here about this um, return from the descent and bringing back... Uh, a knowing of who we are and what we're here for. And you mentioned it before, it becomes um, moving from a, a personal will to a divine will, but also moving from places of a, a selfish sort of what's in it for me to here, this is what I'm here to serve and to being of service to something greater. So it feels a little bit like we have to um, acquiesce our personal story and our personal identity to be um, absorbed into a larger uh, a story, mythical story perhaps, that is um, not limited to an individual identity but has a collective theme to it. Yeah. Yeah, boy. It's, I mean, there's something, it, it's, it's just amazing to me how, it's like we get drafted by the holy and then we get put in our perfect position to express ourselves and the love is in the loving. You know, I mean, I go for days and days holding space for people, never needing a moment of anyone holding space for me. I don't have anything that needs space often. I mean, you know, once in a while, um, if there's something I want to sort of talk out or think about, but the the amazing shift of the of the you know the Kabbalah I had listened to a Kabbalah teacher who was talking about the first half of life or the first part of life is about getting and then the second half of life or part of life is about giving and that the whole move from being a child to being an adult is the movement from give me give me to here you go I've got some and that transformation, the true transformation, not just the super ego guilting you into being a nice person or a giving person, but the true turning of the heart that allows us to be to to orient toward being the lap of the holy, the supply, the 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 bottomless fountain. You know, it, it's quite a transition. It's not just well, I think tomorrow I'll start being a a generous giving person because I'm 40. You know, it's, it's a, it, and it's a transition that I think in our culture very few people really deeply, thoroughly make because the transition is an initiation and our whole culture puts red X's on the doors to initiation. Don't go down. Don't go into the ashes. Don't go into the underworld. Don't go into transformation, human transformation, stay out, just stay hard, stay young, stay stay strong, and, you know, yeah. Yeah, and the indigenous cultures would say that, you know, our culture is um, papers flying in the wind because they have no roots, they don't have the traditions, the ceremonies, the initiations are lost or cut off from the roots, like the the fruit doesn't know the tree from which it came. And so, you know, really um, that is an inward journey to um, 
expose ourselves to what's been unwinding for thousands of years through us through in our DNA um, and what's our piece to bring forward um, so I want to thank you for acknowledging your journey sharing it with us and all the people that uh, have the benefit of being exposed to what you're bringing forward and the reclamation of yin. I want to share with everybody listening um, how to learn more about Jeannie Zandi. You can visit her website. It's JeannieZandi.com. And you talked about, I was just in a three-part series with you online, the uh, Yin Warrior Queens. And the email I just received, it was, one, it was awesome. You talked about doing another yin retreat, and I know people that will be listening to this would be interested. So do you want to say a few things about that, if you even know yet what that's going to entail or when that will be? Well, there's a number of, there's a number of things I'm doing. One is online, so there's like the three-part online series that's so just like a, an intro called Yin Warrior Queens. And then I'm following that up with another um, eight-session Yin Strength and Power that's going to let us go even more deeply into those the issues, these things that we're talking about right now, but not in terms of necessarily only the dark night of the soul, but recognizing, women recognizing the wisdom of Yin the signs of being called down into transformation, into mercy and tenderness for oneself, and the deep ground that that then gives women for uh, a kind of power that grows out of um, a, a reclaiming and a redemption of this ground of rest and dark and being so that when we speak from what we know instinctively, um, the yang of us is integrated with the yin so that it's to me it's the only way women get to be truly powerful. Truly powerful means that there's yin and there's yang, there's sword and there's cup, there's there's love but it's a rooted love. It's a power that like a queen kind of thing. Um, so I'm also doing uh, three-day events called, that are also called yin warrior queens. Um, around the country. We're scheduling some right now. We have one in Seattle um, in late April, um, and I'm looking at uh, potentially doing one in Victoria, British Columbia, and I've done them. I've done one in Colorado. There's some other places that we're looking at, and um, I have uh, a week-long retreat on this topic at Brighton Bush Hot Springs. I think that's in September, um, and then uh, a year from now, I'm planning a committed program with um, probably 18 women here in Loveland. I'm actually going to have it at my house because we have a great meeting room at my house, and it, it keeps the cost down um, unless we get like a ton of demand, and then we may go to a bigger spot. But um, a committed program where we really hunker down with the same 18 women and go three retreats and online stuff in between and because so much of this teaching, it's not just like food for the brain. That that only gets it down to our topsoil. It's really the practices and the experiences and the plumbing, the depths that let us really embody uh, these things that I'm talking about. Yeah, so I'm pretty excited because um, it's the first time that I've, I've done such a focusing. I'm still doing the work with men. I have a men's retreat um, planned for the summer or just trying to figure out the where and the when, um, because uh, yin feeds men too, and the integration of yin and yang is something that's just human wisdom, you know. So, thank you for asking. Um, and there's a great uh, there's a great interview on YouTube um, on some of this yin stuff that uh, Bliss and Grit did. It's also on blissandgrit.com, but um, an interview they did with me about yin. Um, there's two of them, one on the dark night and one on yin that describes this a bit more of the yin aspect. So thank you, Cindy, oh, for asking. Perfect. Yeah, my two favorite topics. <laughs> Lovely. Hmm. Well, this has been just rich and uh, the kind of adventurous conversations I like to hang out in. So thank you again for accepting the invitation and being so on 
top and uh, point with what the need is of the hour and the collective and and being prepared and ready to serve it. I really do appreciate you, Jeannie, and the space you hold and the people you attract. It's just a, it's a lovely reflection of um, mm-hmm. the watering holes that we need to be creating and gathering around for not only nourishing ourselves but finding out how to distribute that um, pathway so when they're ready. So that was part of our intention in offering this, and I feel I'm excited to post it and circulate it and um, see what drops in next as uh, the call comes for more of us. Yes. More of our conversations to be heard. I know. There's so much to talk about. Have you ever considered? Are we still recording? Yeah, we are. Would you oh, like to okay. say goodbye and just have a private conversation? Yeah, because we can do that. Just okay. Yes. Yeah. Thank you, All right. Well, thank you, everybody. Yeah, it's been lovely. Thank you for tuning in, and we'd love to hear your feedback. So do be in touch.